if you are casting judgment on other people for what they're eating or what their body looks like, or, you know, assuming other people's health status based on their body size or whatever it is, right? If you're casting judgments onto, and a judgment can include jealousy, right? So onto another person, that is just you projecting what's going on inside of you. You only judge people in the voice that you use for yourself, even if it's like all in your head, right? So notice the way that you think about other people and let that be a reflection to the things that you need to work on. Welcome to the Grind and Be Grateful podcast. I'm your host, Marie Wold, health and fitness influencer, coach, and lifestyle entrepreneur committed to educating and empowering women to become their very best selves. Each week, my guests and I are proving that with hard work and the right mindset, absolutely anything is possible. We are here to bring you not just inspiration, but also actionable takeaways that you can use to create a life that you love right now. We're talking all things personal development, including health, fitness, confidence, relationships, and so much more. Thank you for tuning in. Now let's jump into today's episode. You're listening to episode number 70 of the Grind and Be Grateful podcast. Today's episode is so relevant because it's really starting to feel like fall, (laughs) y'all. I couldn't help myself. And this is a time of the year where I get so many messages and comments from women saying that they have fear and anxiety around what should be the coziest and happiest, most delicious time of the year. But with gatherings and social events comes this like tailspin for so many people who are torn between tightening the grip on their food restriction and trying to white knuckle their way through the season or just having their health goals go out the window until the new year when they're going to start over new year, new me type of situation. So if that sounds relatable, you are so not alone. And I have definitely done that in my past as well. And now as a women's transformation coach, I see this all of the time. And on average, women spend a huge percentage of their lives at war with food. And this time of the year, that typically looks like one of two options. Number one, trying to buckle down on their restriction, white knuckle through and miss out on a lot of the best memories of events or social gatherings or whatever, because they're in their head about food. Or number two, just throw in the towel and say they'll start caring about things again when January 1st rolls around. Really, either of these narratives, they both aren't doing people any favors. Like that dialogue, that relationship with food, either way is not constructive and doesn't feel good to anyone. So in today's episode, we're going to break down how many of us got here and got to this place of having a dysfunctional relationship with food and hopefully help break you out of whatever pattern that you're stuck in. And that is with the help of my lovely guest, Whitney Catalano, RDN. And Whitney is a registered dietitian nutritionist with her own private practice. And she specializes in helping people heal their relationship with food, break free from the diet binge cycle, make peace with their bodies, and take power back from their inner bullies. Whitney has a podcast called the Trust Your Body Project, where she chats all things surrounding how to ditch diet culture, transform your mindset around health, and she's just our kind of gal, right? So I'm super excited to have her. Whitney has so much knowledge and great insight to share with us in today's episode, so I cannot wait for you to soak it all in. Before we start the episode, I just have to let you guys know that spots for the Nourish Society are already over halfway full. We only have 100 spots for our founding members and once we hit triple digits, our doors will be closing for a while and I know that the resources inside of this membership will be absolute game changers for the women who get inside. So I've got to make sure that you have all the info to decide if this is going to serve you. If you haven't heard yet, the Nourish Society is the first membership of its kind where we combine science based nutrition, eating psychology, and holistic health coaching into an affordable monthly resource. And this is for the women who are ready to get healthy and glow up without giving up their favorite foods or sacrificing their social lives. This is for the women who have tried hashtag all of the things but still struggle to stay on track or make any serious progress. And this is for the women who are ready to ditch the food drama and learn how to do things the right way once and for all. And I'm betting if you clicked on this episode, that is probably you. So now is the time to head on over to nourishsociety.com 
check out the program, check out the membership and sign up ASAP because again, we only have 100 spots and we are well over halfway full at this point. But I wanted to answer just a few questions because I want to make sure that all the women who are meant to be in here get in and have all the info that they need to decide. So first FAQ is what is all included and every single month we're serving up hot and fresh all of these things. Number one, a healthy and easy meal plan that's going to include options for different calorie intakes plus plant-based and gluten-free slash dairy-free substitutions and that will also come with exclusive recipes and meal ideas so that you never get bored with eating healthy ever again. The meal plan is basically a really really great resource to give you ideas of how you can eat that month. It's not necessarily that you need to stick with it all month long or anything like that. It's just an idea of how you can structure your days, what types of meals will fit your goals, things like that. Then every single week, you'll get a new resource based on the topic of the month. So think actionable strategies, nutritional science made simple, balanced living breakthroughs, and fun ways to spice up your eating and life. November happens to be all about like Thanksgiving and balancing the holidays, which I think is absolutely perfect. So there is like the food pusher survival guide is in there. We have alcohol and appetizer hacks. We have the balanced Thanksgiving blueprint. We have so much good stuff in there for November. Um, and then last but not least, you will get two exclusive coaching sessions. One of them is a live stream Q&A with me, which will be um, kind of like a mix between girl talk over coffee and wine and also getting coached all at once. And then there will also be an exclusive workshop with a guest expert every month who will bring you the society only 411 on a spicy topic like gut health, food freedom, fat loss, eating psychology, intuitive eating, hormone balancing, all of the things. So that is so, so much value packed into one month. And you guys, the founding member rate is only $34 a month for all of that. Like I might be insane. And the founding members, you guys will lock in that price for life. So no matter how much stuff we add, no matter how much we raise the price in the future, which we will be doing next time we open the doors, you get to keep it at $34 a month for as long as you're part of the society. So this is an incredible deal. And anyone who gets in on this first 100 founding members launch, you guys are the smartest of the cookies. And I also wanted to answer the other biggest FAQ question, which is what if I ever want to cancel? I know that the Nourish Society seems so epic that there must be a catch, right? But no, guys, if you join with the month-to-month membership and it ends up not being your cup of tea for some reason, you can cancel at any time without any penalties. You just have to let us know at least 14 days before your next billing cycle easy peasy. And then lastly, another top question I'm getting is, is there a registered dietitian on your team? And yes, there is. All of our resources and meal plans are created in collaboration with a registered and licensed dietitian that specializes in holistic health and sustainable lifestyle changes. Her name is Yasmin and she is awesome. You can read more about her on our website, nourishsociety.com. And actually, last but not least, I wanted to make sure I answered this one what makes this different than all the other stuff out there and honestly pretty much everything you guys I have never seen another monthly resource that's this affordable yet still combines nutrition eating psychology holistic health sample meal plans recipes and coaching workshops like ever so this is a really really special membership this is a really special program that I created out of knowing that so many women struggle with nutrition and so many women need a reliable trustworthy resource to get their nutrition get their meal ideas get their community from get their coaching calls from and I created it I didn't see it out there so I made it happen and I'm so excited for our founding members to get started on Monday November 4th so if you want to get in on the action join ASAP as soon as you're listening to this by going to nourishsociety.com because again we only have 100 founding member spots it's only $34 for our founding members and we get started on Monday, November 4th. So don't wait. 
Last but not least, let's jump into the review of the week. This one's coming from Mini Choco Chip is the username, and they said, amazing, powerful content, five stars. I've been following Marie for years on Instagram, and I finally started taking the time again to listen to podcasts, and I can honestly say her podcasts make my day. I always take away a positive, powerful message from her and start applying it to my everyday life. Thank you for constantly lifting me up and helping me in so many aspects of my life. I'm so grateful to have found you on social media media you inspire me in so many ways oh my goodness that was so sweet so kind so generous of you thank you so much I don't know your name but mini choco chip thank you thank you for your kind words and support it means the world to my team and I and I would love to send you a little surprise wellness goodie as a thank you for leaving a rating and a review so mini choco chip please dm me on instagram with your address and if you're not mini choco chip you can get a chance at being the review of the week and receiving a surprise wellness goodie from me by leaving us a review on iTunes, on your computer, or the Apple Podcast app on your iPhone. So all you have to do is search for the show, Grind and Be Grateful, head over to the ratings and review section, and leave us a thought. It takes one minute, but it means the absolute world to my team and I, so thank you in advance. And without further ado, let's get into the interview with Miss Whitney Catalano. Hello, Whitney. Welcome to the Grind and Be Grateful podcast. Thank you for having me. I am selfishly super excited to have you here because I'm someone that has personally overcome like major issues with food, exercise, body image, all of that stuff. But I also know that those struggles are not uniquely mine and they're incredibly common among women. And so many of our listeners are going to take some pivotal info away from this episode as well. So to start off, can you just tell us about where you got started as a registered dietitian nutritionist and also like how you ended up niching down into the women's issues that you focus on now? Yeah. So just to give you a little bit of backstory on me. So I struggled with disordered eating and dieting. I went on my first diet at like 12 or 13 and kind of got stuck in the cycle after that. Um, Mm -hmm. No one really told me, you know, young 13 year old or whatever. No one told me that if I go to Jenny Craig, I'm going to have to change how I eat after the fact in order for it to keep working. Like Mm -hmm. I just thought that you go on the diet and then it's just solved. You know what I mean? Like I just, I I just didn't, I didn't get it. I was 13, you know? Right. (laughs) And went on Jenny Craig, like lost all this weight, gained it all back, went to Weight Watchers, went to like all the things. Um, And it just kind of started the cycle from there so that by the time I got to college, I was pretty aggressively into like counting calories and, you know, down to the very bite that I would take. And it was just, it, it was too much. And, you know, I had a little stint with, um, like diet pills or weight loss pills and, um, all the things, you know? Yeah. Codependency, all, all of these things, like a desperate need to control everything around me, like very unstable foundation that I was existing on and a very unstable ego and dealing with a lot of just not knowing how to feel my feelings, not knowing how to, you know, let go of control and kind of not take things personally. Like everything was a threat to my safety and my existence. Mm -hmm. And I was binging in secret as a way of, you know, dealing with that, but also because of the restriction, because of the dieting, I was, you know, restricting myself so much. And then I was binging and it was just kind of this chaotic thing. And so I thought, okay, well, if I can just learn everything that there is to know about food, because I wanted to be a psych major originally, which is ironic because I would argue that most of what I do now is like rooted in therapy and psychology Mm -hmm. um, and the training I've done since becoming a dietitian. But I wanted to be a therapist, couldn't get in any of my classes, and then saw that my school had a dietetics program to become a dietitian. And I was like, oh my gosh, I don't even know what a dietitian is, but this sounds great. And I knew, (laughs) I knew back then that I wanted to help people like heal their relationship with food. Like I knew, I had enough intuition and instinct to be like, I want to do therapy. Like this can be kind of like therapy, but for food. And Mm -hmm. I had no idea what that would look like. I did not know anything. I was still so in my disorder. Like I knew nothing, which still boggles my mind that I knew that much without having any idea of like what that actually looked like or if that was possible. Mm-hmm. But I figured, okay, I'm going to learn everything I can about nutrition. So I just threw myself into it, 
learned everything I can, became more obsessed, more like, you know, obsessed with being healthy and restrictive and, and giving people like, you know, unsolicited advice. I had a blog that I'm so glad does not exist on the internet anymore. It was just everything like, and it just, there was always something that didn't quite sit right with me. Like I always felt like I was trying so hard to learn more and more and more about nutrition science and about, you know, food and digestion and the body and stuff like that. Like I, I felt like I was constantly trying to learn more and more and more and something just wasn't clicking. Like it felt hard and it felt, Mm -hmm. there was just something missing. And after college to become a dietitian, we have to go through a sort of, um, you know, basically a year of internship, medical rotations kind of thing. And during that time or right before I left for mine, I, my dad passed away. And that like put a lot of things into perspective for me because I just realized how fruitless it was for me to be just obsessing about my body all the time and thinking about it so much. And, and I just, I finally kind of had this chance to like slow down and, and, question a lot of things and just, I had a lot of growing up to do. Um, and so after my internship, I sat for my exam, I became a dietitian and I was just kind of like, what do I do from here? What direction do I go? And I was, you know, experimenting with functional medicine. I was experimenting with like all these other pathways and intuitive eating. I mean, I kind of heard about it. Um, but intuitive eating was just like glaring at me. And so I started reading about it and I was like, oh my gosh, this is the thing. And I was at that time too, I was learning how to talk about race and I was learning how to talk about, you know, gender issues and, you know, LGBTQ issues. And I just talking about like weight stigma and health at every size, it all just made sense and it fit into what I was trying to do. And I realized that intuitive eating and helping people heal their relationship with food, like that was the therapy for food that I had been looking for since the beginning. And not only that, I, it was this huge mirror for my own issues. So Mm -hmm. I went through this entire sort of healing process, um, and using my business or using my future business, um, to motivate me. Like it was the strongest motivator because I was like, I can't be helping people if I'm not healed. Like I can't be helping people from a place of, my own open wounds. I have to heal my wounds and then teach from my scars basically and teach from my education and teach from my like skills um, and not be like projecting any of my own stuff on other people. So it was a huge motivator for me. And, you know, a few years later, now I'm here. (laughs) Yeah. So can you kind of sum up like your role today and what kind of transformations you help um, facilitate for your clients? Absolutely. So my clients typically come to me, my one-on-one clients, especially, although I have uh, group programs based around pretty much exclusively binge eating and emotional eating and like uh, quote food addiction, but it's just feeling addicted to food basically. Um, But my clients come to me who have spent decades, you know, dieting and yo-yo dieting, um, trying everything, even if they don't call it dieting, even if it was just like portion control or watching your weight or whatever it is, just obsessed with weight, obsessed with food, obsessed with, you know, looking a certain way and having your external appearance be that source of validation and, um, achievement. Mm -hmm. And most of my clients come from a background of, you know, their parents modeled, um, very like emotionally unavailable, behavior or their parents were emotionally unavailable and modeled like really critical behaviors or modeled, you know, dieting, modeled, um, escapism and, you know, workaholics. Like it's a lot of my clients are children of like workaholics or, you know, parents who struggled with addiction or parents who on and off dieted and weight shame themselves and then weight shame their kids and a lot of like weight related trauma. Mm. Um, and so basically what we do together is they come to me, I work with people on a minimum of a six month basis. Like I don't do one-off sessions or anything like that because this is not (laughs) something that can be healed in like two or three sessions. Um, what we do is we kind of go back to the root of where all the food issues started. We heal all of that stuff. We heal those stories, you know, confront those stories that they, um, internalize from their parents talk a lot about how, the inner child is, you know, we just talk a lot about the inner child and, and kind of release those stories from them. Mm. Um, 
And then it translates into, you know, better emotional processing, like not needing food to cope. And we also do a lot of work around ending restriction, right? So um, with that comes addressing fat phobia, addressing this like, what is their big fear if they gain weight? What is the actual fear? Because it's not the weight itself. It's what the weight means. Mm -hmm. It's what they're scared of. And so addressing like, what are you actually scared of? And is dieting really helping you avoid that fear? Because a lot of the time, you know, people are so scared of rejection and they're scared of, you know, not being loved and all this stuff. But then by dieting and hating their bodies, they're rejecting themselves and they're not loving themselves. So it's kind of like you are already getting exactly what you're trying to avoid. Oh, yeah, that's good. That's good. And I think like, I mean, you've kind of woven this throughout since the beginning of our conversation, but like it's not really about the food, right? Like your, your foundation of like not knowing how to process your emotions and that sort of stuff manifested as like binge eating and things like that. But it wasn't ever like just because of the food, the food is neutral and it's like the meaning that we assign to it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's so, so interesting and like such an important thing to understand. And I think another kind of core topic that is really hard for us all to wrap our heads around is like a huge piece of healing our relationship with food is like learning how to trust our bodies. But then at the same time, I think a lot of women are like more afraid of letting go of that control that like comes with dieting and having food rules. They're more afraid of letting go of that than they Mm -hmm. are of like compromising their mental health and their relationship with food. Um, Do you notice that in the people that you work with? And if you do, like, where do you think that's stemming from? I mean, absolutely. That's a huge theme. Um, I like to call, you know, cause it's also, it's always that word control freak. Mm-hmm. I like to say, you know, control enthusiasts, like <laughs> just really enthusiastic about having control over every little thing. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's hard because control is one of those things because we don't actually have control, right? Like it's yeah. an illusion of control. So when I say control, I mean the illusion of control. Um, but this is something that develops for a number of different reasons, but typically with my clients develops in response to emotionally unavailable parents or some weight trauma or whatever happens in their childhood that kind of started this whole thing off. And they learn to, you know, if they can control their emotions, if they can control their environment, if they can control how they act and how they, you know, whatever, then they can and I say manipulate in the best way possible, like the intentions are really pure Mm -hmm. and childlike here. Like a child just thinks, you know, if we, if we imagine that you're looking at, you know, if anyone listened to this resonates with it, like if you imagine yourself as a child who just wants to be loved and accepted by your parents and your parents are, you know, don't know how to help you with your emotions. They don't know how to, um, like make you feel safe in your body. They don't know how to communicate that your body is okay. And maybe they're even communicating that your body's not okay, that you need to fix it. And your whole thing is, okay, well, I need to do whatever it takes to be accepted and loved by my parents. That's Mm -hmm. it. End of story. Like that is a child's mind is safety, acceptance, love, eating, you know, (laughs) that's all we're out here doing is just trying to survive. And So one of the things that develops is not only do we control our emotions, we control the way that we are perceived by other people, um, but then we also try to control other people because we get so afraid of dealing with our emotions and we're so reactive when we're in this state that if someone does something, says something, or, you know, acts a certain way that is going to elicit a, an emotional response from us. We're uncomfortable with that emotional response. We're scared that emotional response is going to scare the other person Mm -hmm. off. We're scared that the emotional response is going to like create issues basically and like threaten our safety. And so we try to control other people too, because it keeps our world safe and in order and everything is where it's supposed to be. And this is a very fragile way to live. Yeah. Um, and it's, and I want to really double emphasize that it comes from the best intentions and yet it doesn't serve us. Right. Like it's all about that love and acceptance and connection, but it actually causes like isolation and disconnect. Right. Yeah. And just stress, so much stress. So with 
like everything being connected basically to like our inner child experiences growing up. I know we're so impressionable and like so many of the things that we learn about life and our values are formed from a young age. What are your thoughts? I know you already did like an IGTV, but can you kind of encapsulate your thoughts about um, the news that just came to light about Weight Watchers releasing their app Curbo, which is essentially like a diet app for kids? Like, what does that mean for the kids that are going to be on that app? What does that mean for the parents that are, you know, encouraging their kids to use it? Like, just kind of fill us in. Yeah. So, I mean, my first thought that I want to just get out of the way is this is not, you know, yeah, it seems different, but this is just a new medium for the same thing that's been happening. So Mm. I think a lot of the initial reaction was like anger, frustration, of course, and I'm still like still hold a lot of those feelings. But also we need to recognize that this is not the only time that this is happening. And yeah. Um, this is very much like something that's been going on for years. It's just now turned into an app. So um, with that being said, it's definitely a little bit problematic and troubling um, the way that they're marketing this app because it's one thing to say, okay, you know what? We're going to teach kids how to you know, eat healthy foods and like nutrition and yada, yada, yada. Like if that was their intention, it was really like out of good intentions, I would be open to reconsidering it. Um, I would be Mm -hmm. open to giving it a shot, but, um, there's just so many issues with this. It's so dark. Um, just to, you know, kind of say it for what it is basically, you know, the way that they're marketing it on their website is talking about this kid lost a bunch of weight and made his parent proud. This kid Mm. lost a bunch of weight and was able to get up on that stage. This kid lost a bunch of weight and did X, felt successful, you know, got approval from her, their parents got acceptance, got love, got success. And we are already fighting those messages every single day. Like these themes around love and acceptance are taught to us from every, everything, like from the movies that we watch, there's so much fat phobia in movies. There's so much fat phobia in, you know, the way that we, the way that the media is, and it's definitely getting better, but um, these messages are either explicitly or kind of implicitly taught to us through a thousand different mediums as kids grow up. So then to have an another app that's supposed to be this thing that parents can trust, that they can, you know, if they don't know anything about nutrition, then maybe they can at least like give the app to their kids and, and let their kids kind of figure it out for themselves. And I know the type of parents who are going to be drawn to this app. It's parents who struggle with their body image, struggle with food, struggle with weight, Mm -hmm. although I don't really like to call it like struggling with your weight, but um, struggling with the way that they view their weight, how about that, is Mm -hmm. those are the parents who are going to think, I clearly don't know how to do it. I clearly don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to teach them a healthy relationship with food or how to be help, you know, how to be skinny basically. Um, and they're, the parents are probably even like looking at themselves and just being like, you know, I'm whatever projecting onto these kids. But what they're not realizing is that the actual you know, message that we should be struggling with our bodies or that we should do whatever it takes to get thin or that thinness is going to give us, you know, success, love and acceptance. That message in itself is the thing that we need to not project onto the kids. Not like, Mm. you know, oh, I don't know how to teach my kids how to be healthy. Because we have, you know, intuitive, if you watch a kid eat, who has not had real exposure to diet culture, not had real exposure to like food rules and good or bad foods, kids will naturally, you know, I I know that there's a pickiness involved and and there's a lot of like exposure that needs to happen around foods that are new. But Mm -hmm. in general, kids will eat when they're hungry, stop when they're full. If you give a kid a dessert every single night, yeah, they may only eat dessert for five days. And then guess what happens? They get sick of dessert and they want real food because the body (laughs) doesn't, you know, without this fear and without this restriction component, you naturally just get bored. Like the body craves variety. It craves a normal relationship with food. And what's happening now is these kids as young as age of eight are learning things. And, you know, I've had colleagues who downloaded the app and kind of went through it. And the foods that are on this sort of green light, red light system are just bizarre. It's I don't know where they got this nutrition information, basically. Mm. Like, it's just so I, – I, I have no idea. I have no idea. They, they're they really, you know, set on saying that this is evidence-based and yada, yada, yada. 
No, there's absolutely not a single thing that is actually evidence-based. They just have their own research that they like to kind of spin, you know? Yeah, like Uh, cherry-picked. Yeah, they cherry-pick research, they cherry-pick results, and they're not looking at the big picture, and they're actively ignoring, you know, um, requests to comment on it. And it's Mm. just kind of dark, honestly, because they are – a company that parents who don't know what else to do or who are struggling themselves, parents who have spent a lifetime on Weight Watchers are going to be like, oh, good. You know, my kid can now learn what I'm learning. We can all do Weight Watchers together right. as a family. And that was happening before they came out with this Yeah, app, yeah. You know? I've definitely had clients who are like, I remember my mom taking me to Weight Watchers in high school. <laughs> yeah, me. Like, <laughs> literally, yeah. you know. So it's, it's really dark. It's, um, it's unfortunate that it's normalized to make kids feel like they have to lose weight for their parents' acceptance because mm-hmm. that is the most common theme. I mean, is it even the most common theme? I think it's just every single one of my clients. Yeah. <laughs> Does it count I as mean, a common I've theme been there everyone? And I definitely yeah, I definitely fit fit that picture the model of like having a parent that I felt like if I lost weight like if I wouldn't have been a quote-unquote chubby child like my mom would have loved me more all that kind of stuff like it just it I see a very clear correlation with it yeah so that makes total sense but how can we be better from this like I'm sure you have clients who are parents or want to be parents and I'm sure a lot of our listeners are either parents or want to be parents so what are some things that like we can do to model a better relationship with food and like help our children have a better relationship with food in their bodies than maybe a lot of us grew up with. Yeah. So, I mean, the sort of big picture of this, and then I'll give some practical tips, but the big picture is, you know, if you are struggling with your relationship with food, if you're struggling with breaking out of the diet binge cycle or, you know, having just a normal, healthy, like if you have a lot of guilt and shame around food, basically get help, like just Mm -hmm. go invest and do it. And I know that's easy for me to say, and it's not accessible to everyone, but there's so much free resources. There's, you know, books, podcasts, like different things. There's, there are so many price points for getting help. And if you can afford to get, you know, one-on-one help or even just group coaching help, do it. Because here's the thing that kind of is interesting to me is that, you know, people will talk about not wanting to invest in healing, not wanting to spend the money to do this because they've spent a lifetime spending money on dieting. And they're Mm -hmm. like, well, what makes this different? except it's a bigger price tag. And I'm like, because it's not a diet, one, and two, like after this, you won't need another thing, you know, like that'll be it. (laughs) You're, you're going to be set. You're not going to need any more diets. You're not going to need any more anything. And we so readily invest in other health, right? Like other principles around health, but we don't, this, there's a lot of blocks around this. And I do get it. That is still, you know, cause that's the thing where, I mean, and I'm not talking about people who like genuinely cannot afford it, but really want it. Like, that's not what I'm talking yeah. about. I'm talking yeah. about this like resistance. You've got the money or, you know, maybe it's a little bit tight, but you know, it's there. And it's this resistance to like get the help that you need. And, you know, this is just your inner child at work being like, no, because if I stop dieting, then I lose chances at being accepted, being loved. And if you can recognize that in yourself, even if you're not ready to deal with it yet, recognize that like that's a message, that's an internal um so that message and that belief system translates into behaviors in our everyday life that we maybe don't really pick up on. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, well fortunately because it's a really beautiful thing, but kids are hypersensitive to their parents' behaviors, self-talk, all of this stuff. So they're going to pick up on things like you taking a bite of cake out of the fridge and then, you know, going back and like sneaking bites of cake. They're going to pick up on you like eating a bag of chips over the trash can and throwing the chips out, you know? Yeah. I had one client who, when we did a clarity call together, she was like, my daughter walked in the kitchen when I like was spitting out a bite of cake mm. and asked why I was doing that. And that was the moment that I realized I needed to like, get some help. Yeah. Yeah. Because the kids are noticing these things, whether or not you think they are, you know, I think sometimes when we're kind of stuck in our own issues, it's hard to see that kids are picking up on it. So, you know, getting help, um, not 
there are no good and bad foods. If you want to talk about nutrition, if you want to talk about, you know, these foods are going to keep you full longer. And these foods are like reward foods and, or not reward foods, but these foods are like pleasure foods, you know, play foods. Um, but allowing kids to decide what they want to eat, allowing them to, um, be ruled by their intuition just because you believe, you know, if you hold this belief that you don't know how to feed yourself and you don't have any intuition, don't automatically project that onto your kids. Allow your kids to prove to you that they can learn how to eat for their bodies. Talk about nutrition, talk about all these things, but make all ranges of food from, you know, desserts and what you would call junk food or like snacky foods to more, you know, nutritious foods, make them all available and okay. Mm-hmm. And like help kids understand the function of food and understand that like um, eating cake to celebrate is okay. Like all of these things are okay. Um, don't body shame yourself in front of your kids for sure. And yeah. definitely don't comment on your child's growing body, especially if I, it's really easy to be like, oh my gosh, you've, you've gotten taller. Oh my gosh, you know, whatever. You kind of comment on changes. Just don't. <laughs> it's just yeah. keep it to yourself. You know, it's hard. I get that. But like it, it gets easier. Yeah. Yeah. And it is like a reprogramming, right? Because if we've been doing it for our whole lives, like it's not necessarily something that can change overnight, Mm -hmm. but with like the intention and the clarity of like where we want to go, whether it's for your kid or for yourself, hopefully it's both. If you have a kid, like hopefully you want it for you as well. But um, like what, what are some kind of like red flags for people who are like, oh, I'm not sure if this applies to me, but also you and I both know that like probably most women like have some level of this stuff going on just because of the culture we've grown up in like what are some red flags that tell you that someone is stuck in like chronic dieting or a bad body image cycle um, or an unhealthy relationship with food yeah so I mean big ones that stick out to me is the way that you kind of subconsciously talk about food so you know apologizing or making up those things when you go out to dinner with your friends or you go get and you're like oh I'll go to the gym tomorrow I'll burn this off tomorrow mm. or, oh I'll go you know kind of feeling the need to announce how you're going to um, compensate for what you're about to eat or what you've already eaten yeah and like justifying um, it. Yeah, doing a diet recall. So I I call it cupcake confessionals. People find out I'm a dietitian and then they immediately come and like confess their cupcake sins to me and I just oh like gosh. don't give a shit, you know? Like I'm like that's cool, it sounds delicious, you know? Did you yeah. like it? Like yeah. I don't even know what to say and they're like uh sugar like da 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 and I'm like I don't care. So you know, if you find yourself doing that, you have this compulsive urge to kind of like confess what you've eaten or justify what you've eaten or, you know, talk about how bad you've been lately or talk about, you know, oh, I just, I've been so bad about going to the gym. I need to be better. If you're constantly looking around at other people's plates, so that's a really big indicator is like you're, you're watching other people eat as a way to judge how you, you should be eating basically. Um, if you're looking at other people's bodies and kind of making comments or or automatically jumping to like self-deprecating comments about your own body, you know, I think it's different to say there's a difference between saying, you know, I'm really struggling with my body image. I feel a lot of insecurities about like X, Y, and Z versus I hate my body. This thing is so ugly, da 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 da. Because saying I hate my body, this, you know, part of it is so ugly is buying into the story, saying mm-hmm. I'm struggling with my insecurities, I'm struggling with this thing is vulnerability. Yeah. There's a huge difference there. So recognizing the way that you talk about yourself, talk about your food and think about other people's. I think the last thing too is like, and and this is a lesson that takes a while to learn, um, but if you are casting judgment on other people for what they're eating or what their body looks like, or, you know, assuming other people's health status based on their body size or whatever it is, right. If you're casting judgments, um, onto, and a judgment can include jealousy, right. So onto another person that is just you projecting what's going on inside of you. Yes. Yeah. You only judge people in the voice that you use for yourself, even if Mm -hmm. it's like all in your head. Right. So notice the way that you think about other people and let that be a reflection to the things that you need to work on. Mm -hmm. That's so good. That's so good. And so we already talked about like how these things play out, like if we have children, but what are some of the other like longer term negative effects if we continue to like be at war with our bodies, be at war with food and just like let that cycle perpetuate? Yeah. I mean, look, 
it's everyone's all about wanting to be as healthy as possible. I think we're all kind of struggling with, and I, I believe this is a big part of it that, you know, this obsession with dieting and being healthy and clean eating and all this stuff is like kind of born out of this really dark, you know, fear of our own mortality. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And we're all struggling with the fact that we don't really have that much control. And so, and we had talked about control before. So we turn to things that we think we can control as a way of being like, well, I want to live longer. I want to do all and everything I can. And I don't think there's anything wrong with doing what you can to support your health long-term because I think that that's the whole point, right? Like there is we want to feel good day to day. We want to do this stuff. But if the things that you're doing to quote, be healthy or to avoid disease or whatever it is, are creating constant stress for you, are, you know, making your daily life kind of miserable are robbing you of your quality life. Um, a fellow dietitian, um, Christy Harrison, who has a podcast called Food Psych, she calls uh, diet culture the life thief because mm. it's not that, you know, it is a life thief. Like it's, it's not always the most obvious symptomatic, the way that we think of disordered eating. It's, you know, you are not going out with your friends because you need to go work out. You're not going out with your friends because you're scared of the food that's going to be there. You are, um, you know, isolating yourself because you feel so ashamed of your body. And if all of this stuff is contributing to a worse quality of life and more stress, like stress is not good for your body. Right. Weight weight cycling, basically gaining and losing weight with going on and off diets is really 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 harmful for your body. Like that is that's something that we've known for decades and yet for some reason doctors still tell people to like try to lose weight and I'm like do you not realize that every single diet like ends up in weight cycling but okay cool. Um you know Let's like sure. That. Yeah, like I guess if you're going to ignore that like fine. But um yeah, it's we we have no question that weight cycling is really bad for health and it's causing more problems than it is helping you. So when we're talking about a health perspective, the absolute best thing that you can do for yourself is get your mental health under like in check, not under control, but like in check. Like go to therapy, go heal your relationship with food, reduce your stress. Like mental health is so much more important than we give credit and it's way more important than you eating some cake. Yeah. Yeah. And has a, been, if you're really using it as like, if you're really using the diet card as like controlling your vitality and like health, mental health probably has a way bigger impact, right? Like part of the mm-hmm. health at every size movement talks about like the stress and shame of like being overweight is pro- like what people call overweight quote in air quotes overweight. Right. the stress and shame associated with that because of our culture is like more of a detriment than the actual weight itself exactly so some one of the theories um around this is that it's actually not because people always ask me well isn't it bad to be fat and i my answer is always i don't know um because here's the thing, right? We don't actually know that it's the fat itself that's causing the higher risk of disease. But what we do know is that the experience of weight stigma and weight-based discrimination um, puts you at higher risk of disease and weight cycling, going on diets um, and yo-yo dieting puts you at a higher risk of disease. Mm -hmm. So if we can't prove that it's actually the body size or the fat that's causing it, if fat people have existed since the beginning of time, literally, this is not new, like fat was not invented 40 years ago, right? Like people have been fat since forever, like ancient statues, like literally since forever, body diversity has existed. So if we can't prove that it's actually fat that's causing this increased risk of disease, then we have to look at these other factors. And knowing that you know, when you're, when you're discriminated against or you're stigmatized because of your weight, and then that often leads to you wanting to diet and wanting to fix your weight and then ending up in this cycle of, you know, weight cycling and hating yourself and uh, hating your appearance and all of this stuff, like that's the thing that's putting your health at risk. And it's called the theoretical model of weight stigma. And it's one I very strongly believe in because it just makes too much sense to not believe in it. Like, Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's so interesting. It's like just when people are willing to open their minds and not just see this as a black and white issue, it -hmm. becomes so much more empowering for the people it affects. And I think we can all be better allies to ourselves as well as the people who are 
struggling, whether they are considered overweight or not, because I think so many people still feel, you know, that shame. They still feel guilt. They still beat themselves up, even if they're Mm -hmm. not even qualifying in that like category. Right. So Mm -hmm. with that like inner mean girl voice that's happening, like I think so often we're basically just bullying ourselves into submission every day. Like what can we do to like call out that mean girl? And then what can we do to choose different conversations like in our own inner monologue? Yeah. So one of the things that um, my clients always try to do, or I always see this with clients is when we talk about that inner bully, they basically start to get mad at themselves when you know, they'll have a good day where they their inner bully is kind of quiet, right? Mm-hmm. And then they'll be like, oh my gosh, I'm coming so far. I'm being so nice to myself, yada, it. yada, yada. Mm-hmm. I did it. Yeah, exactly. And then they'll start, you know, hearing that inner bully again and they'll start fighting the inner bully and being like, oh my gosh, like, no, push the thoughts out, push the thoughts out. I don't want the thoughts. Like, ah, uh, this is scary. This means that I'm not as far along as I thought I was. Da, da, mm-hmm. da, da, da. So not only are they being bullied by their own, you know, inner dialogue, but then they're also bullying themselves about the fact that they're still being bullied by themselves. Like it's this, it's like, there's the thoughts that we have and then there's the thoughts about the thoughts. Uh And I always tell my clients, it's not about the thoughts, right? If that inner bully is there and a lot of my clients like to name that inner bully. So either saying, you know, I'll have clients who'll be like, oh, my inner bully is my dad's voice. Like I know where those things, I literally sound like my dad when I'm beating myself up. Mm. And so if naming it helps, but even just calling it your inner bully helps writing out. So one of the things I have clients do is write out, you know, what does your inner bully say? What are some like classic taglines that your inner bully like loves to go for? Like you're not doing enough or you're look at, you know, look at what you just ate or I can't believe you're still doing this. Like if there are some go-to lines that you know is your inner bully, write them out so that you can quickly identify them and be like, oh yeah, okay, that's not me. That's the bully, right? Mm -hmm. And then the second thing is recognizing that the bully is always going to be there in some capacity as long as we live in a world that teaches us to talk like that. Mm. Because our brains are just processing information, picking up on patterns. Our brains are evidence-seeking machines. So they're picking up on patterns. They're picking up on evidence. We're absorbing messages. Even if you clean up your entire social media and you're not, you know, it's all body positive self-love accounts, like you're still going to pick it up from TV, from being out in the world. Like it's around. Mm -hmm. So we're always going to have that inner bully voice that shows up. And I believe that it's just part of being a human being. Like, I don't know if that will ever go away and I don't necessarily want it to go away. And so what I challenge my clients to do is actually just allow it to be there, but not judge yourself. So it's the thoughts about the thoughts, right? Not judging yourself for the inner bully being there, not, you know, um, trying to push it away or ignore it, allow it to talk and then decide whether or not you want it to want to believe it. Right. And I think something that helped for me too is like, understanding that my inner bully was created to somehow supposedly help me right like the intention from the beginning was like a positive one it was kind of the inner child thing where like manipulation as a child is like a pure intention (laughs) and Mm -hmm. the inner bully I think was the same thing like when my inner bully got a voice like that was because I was seeking the validation the attention the love the security like the inner bully was supposed to be helping me it's trying to keep you safe right. and it's not doing a very good job. It's like really not the best. And I always, I, I like to laugh about that because like, you know, we can, we can think, thank you brain for trying to keep me safe. You're awesome. Like love you that you do that, but also like you're really bad at it right now. Yeah. And I've learned new ways to keep myself safe. And that's what, and you know, being yourself, being authentically yourself, not listening to that inner bully, that's how you're actually going to keep yourself safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I love this conversation and I want to kind of give people like a glimpse if they're feeling like this is them, like they're stuck in the inner bully, they're stuck in, you know, not being able to move past dieting or, you know, bad body image. The The journey to like food freedom and self-love is, is a long one, but what are some common threads or common experiences that you see women have when they like embark on this path and start seeing breakthroughs? Like what can women look forward to on the other side of all of this stuff? Hmm. 
That's a good question. I actually just kind of had this conversation with a client last night um, because she was like the most, she's one of those clients that is, if I had to write a case study on all my clients, like a makeup, a case study, she would be it. You know, every single thing, it, it was just kind of like the most extreme of all the things that perfectly exemplified this process. Mm-hmm. And I was hearing her talk last night and it was so amazing to me because she was saying things like, I'm at a place in my recovery that I never thought would be possible. Like I know that I you know, I know that I'm going to get back into the gym eventually. I know that I'm going to start cooking for myself eventually. Like I know that I'm going to do these things again, but right now I'm in such a a deep place of like surrender and grounding. She's like, I've never felt more surrendered in my life. I feel like I've totally let go of trying to control everything around me. And I really am just allowing and accepting exactly where I am. And, you know, she was saying that she said to me, um, it was because, I mean, at, at some point in the journey, you know, I, a lot of my clients who really go searching for control, they all kind of have my number because I, it's like, if you're freaking out, text me, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, um, at the beginning of her journey, she would just text me all the time looking for me to kind of make her feel better. Right. And Mm -hmm. to, to give her, um, something to look forward to, to give her that thing that's going to like sedate the panic. And I did at the beginning. And then at a certain point I said to her, you know what, I'm not going to, I have a lot of thoughts on everything you just said. I had a lot of thoughts on this, but right now I need you to spend, you know, a few days until next week sitting in the discomfort of where you're at. Mm. And it's going to suck and it's going to be miserable. And like as a coach, it's hard for me to do that. You know, it's hard for me to say, okay, go sit in your pain. Um, (laughs) I know, I know what I could tell you that would make it all better right now, but I'm not going to because that's not going to last. Yeah. And she came back to me after that period of sitting in it and was like, oh my gosh, okay, I'm starting to get it. Like Mm. I really, I really had to make a decision. I either keep fighting myself or I surrender. And so I surrendered. And now, it's like my entire nervous system is like shutting down. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's going to suck for like a couple of weeks. And, and it did. And she was exhausted and, you know, could barely. And then it was after that, she was like, oh my gosh, I've never felt more like myself in my life. I feel like I'm finally distancing myself from all the stories that I held onto for so long. I feel like I'm actually like surrendering. I feel actually in line with myself. I feel like I'm home, you know? Mm-hmm. And you know, I had her, um, Actually, after last night, I her homework assignment basically was to journal about what it feels like right now to really encapsulate what this home feeling is for her, so that whenever the inner bully shows up, whenever you know that that you get kind of out of alignment, that she can find her way back. Yeah, that's smart, and that's what you can look for. Is like you you won't know it until you're in it because until you're in it, like it's, it's hard to even think that that exists. Right. Right. And it, it can feel so far away and like so impossible, but it's just like, you have to trust and have the faith that it exists mm-hmm. somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and one last thing actually, cause there's an earlier marking point for people who are just starting this journey. Mm-hmm. So, um, one of the things that is always, fun for me is when we start working on unconditional permission around food and really let going of the, letting go of the restriction, it's that first time that a binge food or like a, a trigger food. So, you know, whether it's candy or whatever it is for you that you feel like you can't stop eating and you can never keep in your house, like that food, that there comes a point where you just let yourself eat however much of that food you want. And then all of a sudden you're able to keep it in your house without feeling the need to eat the whole thing or eat like in excess. And clients always come back to, you know, come to our session and we're like, okay, Whitney, I was skeptical. I wasn't sure if this was actually going to work for me, but I no longer felt the need to eat like the entire gallon of ice cream. So I think it's working. And I'm like, there we go. Yeah. That's yeah, awesome. that's the first. You're like, yay, yeah. this works. It's real. Yeah. So in that situation, like do you when you give them that unconditional permission and encourage them to take that unconditional permission for themselves, do they typically go overboard with the food or just the unconditional like they do that first and then the pendulum like swings into balance? Or is just the existence of the unconditional permission like enough? It depends. Um, for some people, 
they like to, they've been dieting for so long that when I say, and they're so tired that when I say you have unconditional permission to eat whatever you want, they don't even care anymore. They're just like, they, yes, they start binging on foods and they start overeating and all of the stuff. Right. But, but they have so little energy left to try to like make it about their body or freak out about their body mm-hmm. that they're like, I just want to eat. Who cares? Like, screw it. You know, I yeah. call it the screw it approach or the all in. So, and I tell clients, you can do this one of two ways. You can go all in. You can give yourself unconditional permission for every single thing. Eat exactly what you want. If you eat mac and cheese every day, every meal for like weeks, right? Who cares? Yeah. Just do it. I don't, I don't give a shit. Just eat three meals a day. As long as you're eating three meals a day, you can eat whatever you want. Um, and if you do it that way and you really like lean into the acceptance of it and the like, I'm not going to let the inner bully take over, then that I found is a quicker recovery process. It takes less time because you're so full in and yes, you do binge and yes, you do overeat and it feels uncomfortable and you bloat and the water retention is just really uncomfortable and you just feel kind of sluggish and miserable. But guess what? pretty soon your body's going to be like, we can't do this anymore. And then you're like, oh, wait, I don't feel the need to eat that anymore because I actually don't like how I feel. Right, right. And then it's fine, you know? Yeah. And it's like, woo, we did it. Other people need to do it one step at a time. They do one food at a time. They kind of go slow and it's this like very careful process. And, you know, they'll kind of test the waters first before really diving in. And um, it works for some people. It doesn't work for others. It's, it's just kind of a matter of personal preference. Some people do end up like really overeating and binge eating for a while because they've been restricting for so long that their body literally just needs it. Mm-hmm. And then other people don't because they start feeding themselves, you know, consistently and their body's like, okay, we're good. Like you just were projecting too much fear onto those foods, but now yeah. that the fear has gone, like, we're fine. Totally. So it's different for everyone. Totally. I think that's so, so interesting. And um, I'm sure after this conversation, so many women want to hear more from you. They want to know where they can find you, where they can work with you, where they can learn more from you. So where do you hang out on the internet? Where are your programs? Pimp yourself out. Oh, yeah. I'm everywhere. So um, I have a podcast, Trust Your Body Project. That's also my Instagram handle, Trust Your Body Project. Um, I'm Whitney Catalano on Twitter, but my like name is Trust Your Body Project. So I think if you search both, they'll come up. Um, where else whitneycatalano.com i have you can apply for coaching i um i do free hour-long clarity calls with uh everyone who is interested in coaching because i want to make sure we're a good fit together and yeah that's that's what's going on i have a group program that's filling up right now but i don't i doubt this will go live before enrollment's closed but i will be running more group programs so just keep an eye on me if you want to you want to learn more. Excellent. And we have one last question before we wrap up because this is the Grinding Be Grateful podcast. We have got to know what is one thing you're currently grinding toward and just working hard for? And then what is one thing that you are hugely grateful for right now? Um, So actually, I mean, I feel like I have a lot of things that I'm working towards in my business for sure, including a a retreat idea for next year that I'm really excited about and I am not quite ready to talk about, but like, ooh, it's going to be good. Um, But one of the things that I'm actually really, I guess, grinding for right now is (laughs) slowing down. That's awesome. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So I'm actually, I, my relationship with food and sort of like perfectionism, once I healed my relationship with food, then it got just projected all over to my habits around work. (laughs) So um, I'm really trying to slow down right now. I'm really trying to like be more gentle, be more present, be more, you know, try to delegate as much as I can and and take on as little as I can. And it's very difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, that's what I'm working on. What am I grateful for? I'm grateful for, I mean, I think I'm just grateful for the opportunity to to connect like this and and for technology, honestly, yeah. because I think technology like gets a lot of flack, but it's awesome. Yeah. Like we're sitting here over the internet, like creating educational and like helpful content for people that's free and accessible to anyone who's listening to start healing their relationship with food. Like that's so cool. Yeah. So I just love, I mean, I just love it. Like, you know, I, I think that uh, the resources, I mean, of course, there's a good and a bad to everything, but the resources available online for free or at a low cost 
to help you start, you know, improving on your mental health and, and really working on yourself are just abundant. Right. And I'm grateful for it. Amen. Amen. Well, guys and Whitney, thank you so much for being here. Guys, thank you for tuning in. Please send Whitney some love and gratitude for her time and her expertise. I hope that her wisdom and insight was helpful to y'all. And we would love to see you tag us on your Instagram stories. Whitney, thank you so much for this conversation. Super grateful for you. And we will talk soon. Thanks for having me. Thank you guys so much for spending your time with me on the Grind and Be Grateful podcast. I'm so happy that we were able to hang out and share some good vibes today. It would mean the absolute world to me if you could take one second to share this episode with someone who you think would love it. And please leave the show or review on iTunes if you're enjoying it. Tell me what you think. Let me know what you want to hear more of. It would really help me out on my mission to educate and empower women to become their very best selves and create more content that you're going to love. Thank you again for listening and supporting the show. And until next time, don't forget to grind and be grateful, my friends.